unofficial state car. All right, we're back. We head to the phone. Let's uh, welcome back to the program. John Nichols writes for The Nation magazine. He's written a column there, The Beat, since 1999. He's also author of uh, several books, including some that have been critical of the media, one that he did with uh, Robert McChesney years back. John, thanks for joining us. How are you this morning? It's great to be with you, Mark. It's uh, It feels like it's been ages since we were standing down on the Burlington waterfront watching Bernie Sanders make his announcement. Yeah, I have to be honest with you. I, I, I'm probably going to you know, knock my pundit cap off here. I didn't think it was quite going to uh, evolve the way it has. In what way? Well, I thought that Bernie Sanders, you and I have known him forever, right? And I thought that Bernie Sanders was going to be a very credible candidate that would, you know, definitely have an impact, definitely be heard, build, you know, a a base of support, but I didn't anticipate that it would come, at least in some places, as quickly and as uh, powerfully as it has. So it's been a very interesting couple months. And why do you think you underestimated that? Um, I, you know, it's it, I've covered politics for a long time in a lot of different settings, and you know, my sense is that uh, these issues that Sanders, and to some extent now, increasingly Martin O'Malley and even a little bit Hillary Clinton are talking about, these issues have been raised before. Um, this is this, this kind of core concern about uh, an economy that just isn't working for everybody. And, you know, that, that hasn't quite gotten the traction uh, that I've always thought it should get. You know, I watched John Edwards in 2004 especially try to raise the idea of two Americas Right. Seen other people, you know, try to run these campaigns, and they, they've never quite, you know, electrified things. It seems that I, I think what a lot of us are starting to recognize is that whether you like Bernie Sanders or not, uh, a lot of the issues that he's been talking about for four years are now issues that America's really appears to be really focused on, and. And I think uh, I think a lot of us underestimated the extent to which uh, that figure we often see in polls that says, you know, maybe two-thirds of people think the country is running in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. You never really know precisely where that's coming from. I think what we're starting to realize is that a huge portion of that has to do uh, with a, a feeling that the economy is not working the right way. And candidates in both parties think that recognize that. I think are going to have some traction. You know, they, it's been interesting. I find it interesting to watch the media coverage of his campaign, and it seems to me a little bit of shifting the, the goalposts here. You know, you see stories now where uh, people are writing, saying, uh, you know, the guy who writes for the 538, uh, Nate um, uh, Silver, talking about, Silver. well, he yeah. could win you know, Iowa and New Hampshire, but then he's going to stop there. I mean, a month or six weeks ago, nobody was talking about him winning Iowa and New Hampshire. <laughs> well, it's an interesting day for Vermonters, isn't it? Because Vermonters have watched Bernie Sanders for a very long time. And they've seen this guy come, you know, from a you know, very weak position politically 40 years ago, 
to a very narrow victory for mayor of Burlington. And then, you know, these kind of remarkable victories in his congressional and Senate races, uh, not as a Democrat or Republican, but as an independent. And so Vermonters, I think, understand that Bernie Sanders does know how to do politics. You know, he's, he's pretty good at it. And now I think more people are starting to, you know, it's starting to dawn on them a little bit. And they're, they're starting to see, wow, you know, okay, some things are happening there. Um, one of the things that I find interesting is the way that media in general covers New Hampshire and Iowa. Uh, remember, Iowa, you know, doesn't have a perfect track record for spinning out ex-president of the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. New Hampshire's track record is a little stronger on, on identifying the nominees. But what we need to recognize is that the primary process in both parties now uh, is a is a long haul with a lot of dynamic points in it. And so it's notable when people uh, see these big rallies that, that uh, Sanders has done in, in Maine and in Minnesota and Colorado, you know, what are we talking about there? And in Maine, for instance, you're talking about a very early caucus state and mm-hmm. a place where, obviously, I think, you know, attention is being paid because there is a desire to get beyond Iowa and New Hampshire and have, you know, breakthroughs in some of those other places. And so I'd be cautious about folks who imagine that uh, everything's going to get wrapped up, you know, very, very early uh, on the Republican side, especially. But also, I think the Democratic side could go a, a good deal longer than, than people expect. I still think Hillary Clinton's the front runner. I don't deny that. Um, and I also think that you could see some other dynamics in the race. It's still very early. It's possible someone else could get into that race still. Uh, it's also possible that Martin O'Malley, who's, you know, I mean, he's running a serious campaign, a lot of policy, a lot of energy, um, you know, might start to come up a bit. But at this point, I think what you're looking at with Bernie Sanders is at the very least, at the very least, a model that, that has some resemblance, not a precise resemblance, but some resemblance to what you saw in 84 and 88 with the Rainbow Coalition, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, and, Je- and Jesse Jackson, where yep. Jackson was underestimated early on, but actually uh, went on and did pretty well, even in states like Vermont. Right, right. And, well, he won the, won the primary here in Vermont. Yeah. So, you know, I'm wondering, though, John, if um, if Hillary Clinton's falters and Bernie Sanders continues to rise, I mean, is the Democratic establishment, whoever that is defined as being, going to allow him to move forward? Or are they going to put somebody else up who's a sort of safer choice? I think you're, I, I would imagine that the Democratic establishment would, you know, look for other options. Um, remember... Bernie Sanders is running an anti-establishment campaign, you know, and and so one should not presume that anything's going to be handed to him. And, you know, that's that's an interesting question you ask because, you know, if Hillary Clinton falters, one thing to remember is she hasn't really faltered very much. Her national poll numbers remain very strong. Her poll numbers in Iowa are still pretty solid, and she's still in the lead in New Hampshire. Um, mm-hmm. So she's got... You know, a lot of advantages already, but 
it is also important to understand that there's a lot of models from the past that tell you what might happen. For instance, okay. 1968, Eugene McCarthy mounted a very anti-establishment campaign, got a tremendous level of traction, and then suddenly Bobby Kennedy was running, right? And Lyndon right. Johnson got out of the race, quit the race altogether. Right. Um, we've also seen other examples over the years. And, you know, people forget that in 1952, Harry Truman, there's a lot of evidence that Harry Truman initially wanted to run for re-election in 1952. He got challenged by a guy named Estes Keefauver, uh, right. a real reformer, pretty, you know, ripper-earned guy out of Kentucky, or I'm sorry, Tennessee, I believe. And um, Keefauver got some real uh, strong support early on. Uh, but Keith Harper didn't become the nominee. It ended up being handed off to, you know, Truman got out, of course, and it was handed off to Adlai Stevenson. So, yes, there are, you know, money establishments, there are structural establishments, there are, um, you know, just traditional party insider establishments, you know, that might well look for an alternative candidacy, uh, might, you know, bring somebody else up. Uh, so that's all possible. And you know what? That's politics. That's the way the game works. And mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders' challenge uh, is, I think he said from the start of this thing, he certainly said, you know, in our interview, uh, you know, his challenge is to spark a political revolution. That's what he talks about. I'm sure he said it to you, Mark. Yeah. And, and, you know, this notion of political revolution, that's talking about upsetting all the, the expectations. Not just in the Democratic Party, but really, you know, in politics in general, going toward November. And, you know, I think that that's, that is simply the reality. If you want to talk about Bernie Sanders getting toward a nomination, uh, toward a November race, you have to recognize that, you know, people, voters across the country have to be ready to really rip a lot of stuff up and try something very new. And, again... At the start of this cycle, I was, I have to be honest, I was a little dubious about, you know, where voters were at on that. I still have, you know, uncertainty. I want to see where people evolve. But it's my sense that there's a lot more volatility out there than people expected. And it isn't just on the Democratic side. If, you know, Mark, when you and I were talking back in May, mm -hmm. did you tell me that Donald Trump was going to be the front runner for the Republican nomination? Yeah, wow, I know, bizarre. So things get shaken up, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Did you by any chance see this story today? The Huffington Post just put this thing out about an hour ago that said that they're no longer going to cover Trump in their politics section, that they're going to move into the entertainment section. <laughs> well, um, it's an interesting statement, but I actually, I, I hate to say it, I don't think that's fair to Trump. Uh, no, I, I don't either. I think they're going to have to yeah, walk just, that one back. Well, I, you know, I let people do what they do, and I respect different approaches, but yeah. i got to be honest with you. I think that while I disagree with a lot of what Trump, Donald Trump is saying, I certainly disagree with, you know, a, a lot. Of, I'm not overly impressed with a lot of his style. Uh, the fact of the matter is that he is speaking to a portion of the Republican Party. He is apparently exciting that portion of the party. Uh, at this point, he has moved into the lead 
in a number of polls. There's a Fox News poll out today that's got him up three points. And there's also polls from the state, from, you know, competitive states around the country that show him doing quite well. So I don't think, you know, we get to choose to say, well, you know, not going to cover him as, as a political candidate. He is a political phenomenon, and in my opinion, he will go quite a long ways, maybe not all the way. I, I don't see him getting nominated, for instance, but I don't know whether he'll go all the way through the primaries. But my sense is that he will go as far as the other Republicans let him go. Mm-hmm. It's really a question of whether somebody calls him out and takes the risk of taking him on. The interesting thing is taking the risk of taking him on might well make somebody president of the United States. Right. And I'll give you an right. example. 1976, Jimmy Carter, running as the moderate governor, former governor of Georgia, got into those Repo- or Democratic primaries, and he decided to stake it all in a big way on the Southern primary fights with uh, George Wallace. And at that point, George Wallace was a very viable, serious political contender. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's real. And Jimmy Carter took him on, battled him, uh, didn't always win everything, but, but the willingness of a Southern moderate to take on George Wallace uh, had a huge role, not the only role, but a huge role in defining Jimmy Carter as, you know, somebody who uh, people started to look at as presidential. So the question is, is there, and I know my Republican friends will not like being compared to Jimmy Carter, but is there a Republican that will, you know, fake his, fake his race on saying that Donald Trump is, is wrong on the issues and wrong as a face of the Republican Party? Talking with John Nichols of The Nation magazine. Let's head to Newbury. Fred, good morning. Hey, if uh, Bernie Sanders is a political revolution, uh, would Donald Trump be a political revolution? Very good question. Very good question. Um, You know, it's a little hard for me to see a billionaire uh, as a revolutionary. Uh, And Uh and I think also a guy who ultimately seems so... You know, clearly self-promotional as Trump is, and, and you know, maybe even uh, a lot of questions about whether how far he'll pursue his candidacy, what all will happen. But as he revolutionized what's going on in the Republican Party, I think you have to say yes. I think he's he's torn up a lot of expectations. He is the guy everybody's talking about, and he's going to go into those debates and. There's a lot of questions about what's going to happen in those debates. So whether it's a revolution, it's at least a, uh, a volatility that that party didn't have, you know, two months ago. Hey, but you, you said that, uh, you said, you know, it's hard for a billionaire to be a revolutionary. Okay, so let's look back at the founding fathers. How, how wealthy was Washington, Adams, and those guys? Well, your point's well taken. Um, you know, I'm still... Maybe it's just me, but and I, I, I respect your question. I, maybe I'm just, I have a, a hard time putting Trump in league with uh, Washington and Jefferson and, and Adams. I'm not, put, uh, I'm not putting him in the league. I'm I know you're being, not. I know you're not. Wealthy man, saying, they're wealthy men. Yeah, no, and I know you're not. Uh, but what I'm saying is, I, I do think that uh, I find it very, 
very hard to imagine that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee or the president of the United States. And, um, and I'm not sure what he will leave in his wake. Um, again, my sense is that the challenge for the Republican Party is going to be to reject Trump. Uh, and if that's the case, and they do, um, then the, the, it's, it's not really a revolution. Uh, unless, and here, Fred, I'll throw you one more, as long as we're doing speculation here, unless Trump decides to run as an independent. If he were to jump out and run a third party or independent candidacy in November of 2016, he would, to my mind, absolutely remake all of the political calculation. And that, I guess, would be pretty close to a revolution. Thanks for your uh, call, Fred. I appreciate it. John, last question for you. So is there anything Bernie, I mean, he's getting a lot of credit for doing things right. Is there anything you see that he's not doing right or could do better? Sure. Um, you know, look, I think that Bernie Sanders, uh, who, you know, remember back Jesse Jackson in 88, and they really based a lot of the ideas of the rainbow, uh, needs to do a lot more to broaden his appeal to a lot of the base communities, base votes of the Democratic Party. And that means uh, speaking more uh, about a host of issues that concern people of color, uh, speaking more about immigration, and, you know, bringing, bringing these issues up some fine way. Now, I've seen him do that. And as you know, Mark, he's got background in those areas that makes him, you know, able to speak, I think, you know, quite loudly uh, on some of those issues. But I do think that, that that's something that has to be a big part of, of what he does if he's really going to go the whole route. Uh, because in a lot of this country, uh, the Democratic Party is uh, a very diverse party, and it has relied for a long time on the votes of communities that uh, I think at this point in the polling seem to be very, very sympathetic to Hillary Clinton. So Sanders is going to have to, you know, up the volume there. I don't think there's any question of that. Uh, and then also, I, I do think he's going to be asked a lot about guns. And I know guns play different, perhaps, in Vermont than they mm -hmm. do nationally. But, um, and, and I, I, I just think it's something that's going to come up. And uh, it's going to be a issue that he's going to have to talk about in ways that, uh, you know, reassure uh, some people within the Democratic Party that, that at this point may not be entirely comfortable with him on that. So he's got, there's, there's certainly, every day there are challenges and, and things to talk about. But, um, you know, I know it's just not odd because, as you say, it seems a very long time, two months ago, but this is still very early in a campaign. And yeah. I've watched a lot of campaigns evolve and develop over time. And so the real question for Sanders and any of these other candidates is, you know, how do they take their challenges, how do they take their vulnerabilities and involve them uh, into a better campaign? You know, and that, that is something that, uh, that, as you know from Vermont, Bernie Sanders has some talent at. Mm -hmm. Last question. Uh, the, you mentioned that you had this interview with him that was re the most revealing he's ever given. So, John, tell oh, me I don't one know thing. That I said that. <laughs> All right. Well, the, nation, the nation people wrote that. I. I think he's probably done more revealing interviews on your radio show. 
Okay. All right. Okay. So was there any was there anything was there any big thing that stood out for you? Was there any big thing that stood out that you said, Wow, I never knew that? Uh yeah, there was actually. Um a couple of things. And 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 um here's where I think that it was very interesting. Uh we did talk about uh issues of race and some history there, uh, talked about his involvement with the civil rights movement, and I was powerfully struck. I didn't even get to use all the material. Uh, it's in nature of a long interview, but um, I was powerfully struck by his real historical resonance. You know, his kind of interest in and commitment to a lot of that civil rights history, uh, the extent to which he really does not just know it, but I think feel it. Uh, that was very, very interesting, and, and I think a side of him that that intrigued me. We also, frankly, talked a lot about socialism, and I, you know, I asked him quite a few questions about it because I was interested in how now that he's a candidate to talk about it. And yep. you know, one of the interesting things was uh, he had a line where he said um, something like, "Do you think I'm afraid of the word, or do people think I'm afraid of the word? I'm not." And you know, I just think there's very few people running for president of the United States in a Democratic primary. I don't know if anybody's ever said that. Um, so there were there were there interesting elements of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, in general, I'm always intrigued. I, I'm still very intrigued by one other element, too. I brought up the fact that a lot of pundits say that he can't really get there. That he can't really make this thing happen unless he attacks Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And the absolute firmness with which he, he rejected that, and the perspective from which he sees it. I'm not sure a lot of the media will ever fully understand where he's coming from on that, but yeah. it, it's a very firmly held view that, you know, the personalities and stuff, the songs that it works, that you really got to do it on the issue. Yeah. And, um, and he, was, he, was, he was not striving down it, but he was certainly blunt. And I think it's it's a, a different thing. Now, if he were to attack Hillary Clinton, I, I just think it would shock. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, mm-hmm. The way that he talked about it, just didn't sound like uh, that's just going to happen, no matter how many yep. times, you know, pundits say he has to do it or no matter how many times he even showed his supporters would like him to do it. I just don't think it's going to happen. Thanks for your time, John, as always, and uh, have a great weekend. I love your show. I love what you do, and uh, and I will uh, testify that I'm sure the most revealing interviews uh, with Vermont politicians are always on this show. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. We've, we've got that recorded, so we'll just reuse that line over and over. Thanks, John. John, John Nichols uh, is a political reporter, writes for The Nation magazine. We'll uh, take a break here before we wrap up. We'll be back after this. Tired of grocery shopping at huge supermarkets with no personality? This is Tom Mihiran, and I invite you to shop our well-stocked, right-sized family market in Waitsfield. Custom-cut meats, fresh seafood and produce, gourmet cheeses, regular and organic groceries, and over a thousand wines. Come and see Jeff and Bill in the meat department, Tana and Produce, Gary and Seafood, Nate in the deli, or Nancy and Liz in our incredible wine department. Family run for over 70 years. Mihiran Supermarket, Village Square Shopping Center in Waitsfield. 
Jack Castellaneta, owner of Formula Nissan and Barry. You've challenged the Formula Nissan team to do something they've never done before. This July, the challenge is on to sell 50 new Nissans. It's never been done, and we've put special discounts on the entire inventory. I know we can do this. Is it true the factory has approved extra incentives for you to try to meet this challenge? The incentives aren't for us. They're for our customer. Huge rebates and financing specials on just about every new Nissan on our lot. Altima, Sentra, Rogue, even Versa and Maxima are included. Jack, you're not holding anything back. Up to 4800 off the MSRP of the most popular Nissans we sell. It's factory direct pricing. It's simple and simpler is cheaper. The Midsummer Challenge is on and the winner is you. Only at Formula Nissan. We're on the Barry Montpelier Road next to Pizza Hut and at FormulaNissan.com. I know we can do this. Let us show you how easy it is to do business here. moment of your time for our friends at uh, in beautiful Middlesex at Red Hen Cafe and Bakery. You'll find them right off of Interstate 89, exit 9 in Middlesex. Nice place to go for lunch. You could stop in there, pick up a couple of sandwiches, and then head outside. Nice day for you to eat outside. Maybe you head around the corner there. You can go down to the uh, the dam site there on the Winooski River, nice little spot down there. You could also just stay at the cafe, have uh, one of their fabulous soups, too. And don't forget, you can stop there on the way home as well. Pick up an item or two for dinner. They have these great uh, pizza crusts that they uh, uh, cook up there. They're almost cooked all the way through, so all you have to do is pick up a uh, couple of items there, some great selection of cheese and other uh, condiments you can put there on that uh, pizza. And it looks like you've been slaving away all day. And uh, the kids always, you know, it's an easy home run with uh, with uh, the Rugrats. So check that out at uh, Red Hand Cafe and Bakery right off of Interstate 89, Exit 9 in Middlesex. And thanks to all of you that mentioned that you heard about uh, this great place right here on this program. Coming up on the program on Monday, we got a, a great lineup of guests that will be joining us. Among uh, those that will be joining us, we're going to be uh, talking with Chip uh, uh, Darnstadt and also Amy Butler. We'll talk about the importance of outside, which I'm um, kind of stressing that today. Also, uh, uh, coming up Monday on the program, we'll talk with uh, Governor Shumlin will be joining us as well. We'll have a wide-ranging discussion with uh, the chief executive. And uh, just a reminder, too, a couple of other programming notes for you. If you ever miss any of our programs, we uh, do encourage you to head to our uh, program website. That's at markjohnsonshow.com. And uh, you can find podcasts that are available there. Easy to download. If you have a uh, smartphone, all you have to do is go to your podcast at icon there and just type in the name of this program and you can have them uh, easily downloaded onto your phone it'll happen automatically if you sign up for it each and every time that i put a uh, podcast up so encourage you very much to do that I want to thank our friends too at jet service envelope being a longtime sponsor here on the program they can take care of any and all of your printing needs an outstanding company that you never even need to go and visit as nice as they are we are living in a day and age when you can send your items over to them electronically and they can make it all happen. And you can call them for pricing information or more information on how to get items to them. Whether you need to get your memoirs printed, one of those nice trifold brochures they do, or anything else that involves ink and paper, our friends at the Jet can do it. Call them today at 229-9335, 229-9335.
And again, on the web, you'll find them at jetservice-envelope.com. What a beautiful day out there. Hope you get a, a chance to get outside and enjoy some of it. And a nice weekend coming our way, too. I want to thank Roger Hill for that outstanding forecast. And uh, please do be safe out there because we need each and every one of you back here same time, same place on Monday. This is FM 96.1 WTEV Warren broadcasting from the top of Sugarbush, 96.5 in Barry and Montpelier, 101.9 in the Kingdom and AM 550 WDEV Waterbury Montpelier. Have a great weekend. AP Radio News.